You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back in the 1990s, Pele predicted that before the year 2000, an African team would win the World Cup. Alas, the Brazilian legend's prophecy went unfulfilled, and to this day, the greatest ever showing by an African team at the tournament was Cameroon, reaching the quarterfinals in 1990. Well, this year, Senegal, Morocco, Tunisia, Ghana, and a new generation of indomitable Lions will be looking to improve upon that. They make their way to Qatar with the expectations of a continent on their shoulders. Today, I'm speaking with Michael LaHood, Meyer Masahi, about those five teams might fare this year's World Cup. Kego Lasso begins right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kego Lasso. Thank you so much for being part of the family. YouTube.com forward slash Kego Lasso. Kego Lasso pod on Twitter. Michael LaHood, how are you, buddy? Uh, I am doing good, great, grand. Love talking African soccer. And of course, there's a big game that we'll get to in our final thoughts. But let's focus on the main event. Yeah, I think I know where you're going with that one. Uh, wearing your Sierra Leone faithful, of course. But Marm, is I here? Pleasure to have you back, my friend. How are you? Always good to talk to all of you. Um, I'm well. I'm in sunny Marseille, trying to get to the beach every day, but I haven't been able to over the last two days. Yeah, I don't feel sorry for you at all. Here you are, Mar, <laughs> making fun of me going on vacation all the time, and you're in the freaking south of France just having a yeah. good time. So I'm not even feeling sorry for you, Mar. So let's enjoy that beach, uh, hopefully together. Give me some images after this, and let me see how much you're enjoying it. But welcome, my friend. Welcome, Mar Mizahi, of course, and Michael LaHood. And as Michael said, it's all about the African game and Africa's chances at the World Cup. Pele did say that, uh, that at some point the World Cup would be at the very least won or go to the final by an African team. It hasn't happened yet, but we feel with the amount of talent, the talent that's also overloading itself in Europe and major competitions, you would think that surely, surely sooner rather than later, especially when the World Cup is not in Europe. Maybe that's a helpful hint for Africans. I know that it can be for South Americans, but let's set the scene. First of all, Michael, let me ask you straight away, because we've talked about this for a while, including the Africa Cup of Nations, you know, and all the competitions that lead up, of course, to the World Cup, the qualifiers. Uh, is CAF is CAF, the qualification itself, is it flawed? It seems to me that it's not just one of the hardest to get out of in order to get to the World Cup, South America being another contender, but it's very, very difficult. Is there a way that we can fix it? What do you think about the overall qualification phases when it comes to Africa? I think it's absolutely brutal. I'm willing to go one further and say it's the most difficult qualification in the world. Look at the teams, the the, the big boys that miss out on the World Cup. There's no automatic, you know, like in some other con confederations, your usual suspects most likely will make it. For CAF and African soccer, oh, you are going to be the luck of the draw. You're dependent on the luck of the draw, missing out on some of the you know, perennial rivals throughout the continent. And what I, I, I'm looking forward to is just expanding the number of teams. I think CAF is underrepresented at the FIFA World Cup cycle after cycle, and I cannot wait for the number of teams to expand. Yeah, I think Michael hit the nail on the head over here. The fact that there's only five teams that make it to the World Cup is really what's handicapping Africa. Um, there isn't a big 
difference in terms of level between a Nigeria and a Ghana or a Cameroon or Algeria or an Ivory Coast that didn't even make it to the final round of qualifying uh, for the last um, World Cup qualifiers. So there's that problem, the fact that there's only five slots, but there's also the FIFA rankings problem. So the fa- when an African team plays another African team, it's weighted less than when a European team plays another European team. Mm-hmm. As a result, European teams are going to be near the top of the FIFA rankings, whereas African teams are always going to be near the bottom, even when a team like Algeria went on a 35-match unbeaten streak, uh, mm-hmm. or Senegal, who's only lost, I believe, seven matches since Alusis has been, been manager over the last five years. Uh, they still can't really climb into that top 10. When you The fact that you have that puts them at the bottom of the pot for the FIFA World Cup draws. They're going to play against the tougher European teams, tougher South American teams. Um, the fact that the World Cup, as you mentioned, is not always in Africa as well. That's always uh, going to be more difficult for African teams as well. So all of these factors make it... I think that's the reason why Pelé's prediction still hasn't come true. Yeah, correct. Uh, we're going to have an argument as well about how it can improve, but obviously this 2022 tournament will be the last where we see this same amount of teams. 2026 will have 48 teams from six confederations. So, Meyer, back to you. Does that help Africa? Do you think we still need to do more to improve it? Honestly, I think 9.5 teams is the perfect amount for Africa. Um, There really, like I said, isn't much of a difference between the top five and the top 10 teams in Africa. I'm going to be completely objective. After the 10th team, you do start to get a little bit of a difference. So I think 9.5 is really perfect for the African continent. And I think you're you're not going to see a drop-off in terms of performance at the World Cup. It's just going to be more uh, ping-pong balls in, in for, 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 for the African continent. And as a result, we should get a little bit better results. I love what you said about the coefficients, Mahar, because I want to go one step further make it 10 and selfishly i want sierra leone to go my family <laughs> we got our bags packed you knew i was going to go there but I, i'm i'm excited to see the expansion of the fifa world cup but peel the layers back for the continent of africa i want to see an upgrade in infrastructure yeah. so many of these teams when they play against each other i, I wonder if that's what fifa and i almost said uefa because sometimes we think uefa is fifa but fifa when they look at some of those coefficients, I wonder if just infrastructure and just things that go in behind the scenes aren't factored into that. Yeah, the overall reputation of the continent, of course, takes major precedent when it comes to uh, to your point, Meyer, about uh, FIFA rankings, which actually is a massive, massive impactful uh, note when it comes to qualifying. All right, well, we're going to segue from that into, you know, well, it's really the same kind of conversation because when you look at these Nations that are in Qatar 2022 from an African perspective, Senegal. I mean, the winners of Africa, the defending champions, they're in part three, which is like kind of hilarious. And they're in, uh, you know, in group A, of course, the African champions. uh, They basically kick everything off alongside Ecuador, the Netherlands and the host Qatar. Michael, straight away, Senegal, group A, thoughts? I think that for your continental champions to be put in a group like this, to not get the respect that they deserve and have earned. And when you have look, look at the profile of players that they have in their camp and their group and the type of football that they're playing. I think that they will be highly motivated being in this group to earn respect. They are one of the biggest dark horses, not just in this group, but in the entire tournament. And I don't think anyone wants to face them. 
Yeah, Senegal on paper are not far off the very top teams of this World Cup. Uh, well, I always say that their starting lineup reads like a, a crazy Champions League night, like Edward Mandi, Edward Mandi, sorry, Sadio Mane, uh, even young superstars like Ismail Lassar, Idrissa Ganagay, who plays at Paris Saint-Germain. So the talent is there. Um, one of the, I think, major handicaps for African nations at the World Cup recently has always been is the coaching there. And Senegal is led by Aliou Cisse, who's uh, a local coach. He coached them in the 2018 World Cup, so he has that experience behind him. And for the longest period of time, he was criticized as not being, you know, uh, a tactician. They were saying he's more of a man manager. Um, he really motivates his players. The players want to play for him, but he's not a Pep Guardiola. He's not going to be able to scheme, you know, perfect triangle passes and 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 attacking sequences in that set. But the fact that I think he's had recent success with this national team. Obviously, they qualified to this World Cup. They won the Africa Cup of Nations. I think sometimes we overrate a little bit the tactical aspect of coaching. Look at coaches like Carlo Ancelotti or Zinedine Zidane, not necessarily the greatest tacticians in the world. But when you get when you have the, those intangibles, when you have those players that want to fight for you and they want to win for you, I think uh, that can go a very long way. And Alio Cissé definitely has that. Uh, I think you hit a bit of the nail on the head Look at the, the the sense of national pride that these players have. Some of these players are coming from European countries and playing for Senegal. I think of Koulibaly, who was born in France and representing the Senegalese national team. But these players care. Sadio Mane, after losing the Champions League final, he now is considering his future based partially on what the Senegal people, Senegalese people want him to do. These players are motivated by something bigger than just what's happening on the field. I think there's a differentiator in that from other teams you've seen in the past. That Cameroon team that went and made history in 1990, they were a unified group. And winning together, it breeds confidence no matter who you play and go up against around the world. And I think this team has something very different from teams of the past. And let's not forget, by the way, and apologies for not mentioning it in the intro, but Senegal, Cisse's own Senegal, reached the quarterfinals in 2002 as well, matching Cameroon's 90 run. So it can be done. But to your point, Senegal, I believe in this group, is all about how Cisse man manages them and how he's able to help them understand the very intricate uh, situation of training and playing at a World Cup. It's not going to be easy, obviously, you know, the Netherlands are a force as well. Ecuador, I've said for a while, you cannot underestimate them, of course. And, you know, when you're a host, you have a little bit of that oomph behind you. But make no mistake about it. Senegal is an absolute force. Uh, let's talk about another team here, Meyer, Morocco. Okay, they're in. And, you know, this summer has been interesting. They lost 3 nothing to the USMNT, you know, it was a little bit even at the beginning, but, you know, the friendly in itself, sure, that the USMNT won 3 nothing. I feel that, you know, as much as we talk about CC and Senegal and how that relationship is so important, the same can be said here with um, Halil Hosic and, and his players as well. Morocco is the most uncertain team heading into the 2022 World mm. Cup because we don't really know um, what to expect in terms of, is this coach going to stay on? There's been a lot of tension because they had a poor uh, 2021 African Cup of Nations where they were eliminated in the quarterfinals to Egypt. Um, and 
the team, the, the fans more specifically, are not happy with this coach because he's left a lot of superstars at home. The obvious uh, name is Hakim Ziyech, Chelsea's uh, midfielder, very talented player with a great left foot. He's not been included in this Moroccan national team for probably more than a year now. But also uh, Bayern Munich's new man, Nusser Mazraoui, Olympique de Marseille's winger, Amin Harit. Vahid has always sort of clashed with superstars of national teams. When he was coaching Japan, he clashed with Kaisuke Honda. With Algeria, it was uh, Karim Ziani and Adir Belhaj. So he's always had like this kind of fiery personality. And as a result, he can clash with some players that are considered prima donnas. Now, there is a little bit of a push within the federation to sort of reconcile things. If he can bring on Hakim Ziyech, if he can bring on Nusser Mizrahi, who is back now, he just signed with Bayern Munich, and I think that's going to be a real, real key element because one of the main uh, themes of Morocco's attack is Ashraf Hakimi, the PSG right back, bombing down that flank. And Nusser Mizrahi also played right back at Ajax, but now he can also play defensive midfield. So he'll bring slot in very nice in a defensive midfield role and cover Hakimi as he as he bombs down the wing. They didn't, I mean, didn't play against the U.S. men's Meyer, it seems perfect, to me right? as you're talking here that you you really, you kind of have to get rid of him if he doesn't do this because like yeah. Morocco mm -hmm. really rely on that individual prowess, especially when the World Cup is in November and somebody like Mazraoui is going to be already like a few months into his Bayern Munich tenure. That's really the, 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 the massive debate. I was in Morocco last week and every time I sat down in a cafe and I had this discussion with its fans, it was always either... We need to stick with Vahid. He instills discipline and the team is first. Or we need to get rid of him. He has an overinflated ego and we need the best players on the pitch. Mm. So I think a month from now, two months from now, when we know exactly what's going on with Morocco and we see the kind of atmosphere in the camp, that's when I can feel a little more, a little bit more confident given a prediction. But on paper, again, they're, they're a pretty good side. I, I, wanna, I just want to put a pause on that. Why would you bring in Hakim Ziyech with the season that he's had this past season? For me, that, that's a question mark that I'm asking myself. I, I look at some of the other players. I agree with some of the other players. Yes, Hakim Ziyech is a talent. But if a player, if his mind isn't in the right place, he becomes more of a hindrance to this national team, potentially on the world's biggest stage. I look at some of their other attacking options. I look at the two from Sevilla, Munir and Al Nasiri. Bring those guys. Those guys are playing in big competitions. Those guys are playing more in form, and their heads are in the right space and place. And I think that's just that's a big gamble if mm -hmm. you're going to be this coach going to a FIFA World Cup. If you bring Hakim Ziyech, then could that be yes? Could that could that bring everyone together? Absolutely. But Hakim Ziyech, he is a wild card right now until he gets more stability in his club football week in to week out. I don't know what type of message that's kind of sending to the rest of the group. Yeah, my only counter to that, Michael, is, and it's a very good point, but my only counter to that is from uh, my very own selfish side of, of, of Peru, which is uh, Peru are an insanely overachieving team. Like, there's a lot of players in that side that not only are not getting enough minutes, but some were free agents. So I'm looking at somebody like Yoshi Yotun, who's like 32 years old. He was a free agent for a while after leaving Liga MX, then he went to Sporting Cristal in Lima. Anyway, the point is, there's a lot of players in that team that outside of the national team, they're really actually not doing that much, uh, whether that's because of their own fault or because of where they are from a strategy perspective and the teams that they belong to. But the right manager, the right person can get the best out of you in a national team training camp and say, look, compartmentalize what you're dealing with from your club perspective, right? But when you come to this Moroccan side, we will be a family, we will be a unity, and we will get the best out of you. So I agree that sometimes it can be a distraction, but I feel, Meyer, that the right manager, the right person, 
can sort of shake all that off for the purpose of the objective of the national team. You, both of you are really exploring the crux of this debate. Is it? Is he that important? And, and Luis, you're very right to say national players, their form with the national team is not always reflective of their form with their clubs. Um, and as a result, I, I think, yeah, this is why it's such a heated debate in Morocco and why there's no clear answer, I believe. So uh, we're just going to have to see the next month or so as they get into these. They're playing South Africa um, tonight. As they get into these qualifiers, we're going to see how the team is functioning. We're going to see if they're able to score the goals, if they're missing sort of individual inspiration. If so, the calls to, to reintegrate ZS are going to be very loud. If not, then I think uh, he's probably just going to stick to his original squad. Mm. All right. Well, quickly wrapping up on Morocco, Mike, just quickly your thoughts on their group, because, you know, we're talking about the national team and how tough it's going to be. But uh, we haven't even mentioned their opponents. <laughs> Belgium, by the way, their last chance with their golden generation. Uh, after that disappointing opener in the Nations League, they destroyed Poland. So they're probably looking good, looking up. Of course, Canada, who just like Senegal, uh, you know, disrespectful, I feel. They're so good and not really uh, labeled as such when it came to the group seedings. And then Croatia, you know, who just, you know, happened to reach the finals in the World Cup in 2018, <laughs> Luka Modric, et cetera. So <laughs> how difficult is it going to be in Group F? I think it's going to come down to that match against Canada. Look, the Belgium on paper, they they just have too much for this Moroccan side. Belgium has a knack for playing well against African teams and especially teams from North Africa. But I, I think this Canadian team, they're going to be a wild card. Not a lot of people were talking about them outside of CONCACAF. And could we have just seen a recipe for potential disaster for Morocco based on how they play against this U.S. men's national team, who is also a CONCACAF team? But it's all too way too early to tell because a lot of these players, they've been playing just a marathon of a season, and a lot of them are burnt out. And Yeah, but at this point, team. at this point, Mike, do they get out of the group right now? If I ask you right now, do they get out of the group? I don't think so. My I, I, yeah. No. I, I, again, I was in Morocco last week and they were watching the Champions League final and watching Luka Madrid and then Thibaut Courtois and they were just uh, heads <laughs> were dropping. Like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, okay. So let's uh, let's take a break here. When we come back, we'll keep talking about the remaining nations, including Tunisia, Cameroon, of course, and Ghana, who are very sexy looking into this World Cup, I feel. All right. We're going to take a break. Amar Mazai and, of course, Michael Lahoud, the African teams at the World Cup. Okay, well, so we'll be right back. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Kigo Lasso in the house. Marmazahi, Mike Lahoud, LME over here. We're talking about the African nations at the World Cup in Qatar. Let's talk about Tunisia. 
Mara Mizahi. Let's talk about Tunisia. Uh, always an intriguing one. And they're in a group that's very similar to 2018 because France and Denmark were together in 2018. And as we tape, we're waiting for the winner of Australia and Peru to reach. And either one will make three of those four teams from the same group in 2018. So Tunisia's entering a familiar group from their perspective, not Tunisia's, of course. So give me your ta- uh, your ideas and your thoughts about this side against Denmark, France, Peru, or Australia. I think of the five teams, um, I think any neutral would take a look at Tunisia's squad on paper and they would say this is the weakest African team. And actually, I think I'd be inclined to agree. When you mix uh, you know, the, the, the complete total like uh, list of players, sure, they have some young talents like Hannibal Medjbri at Manchester United, who's got some, uh, some recent game time. He's, he's a good player. Mm. Uh, they have others like – they have a lot of uh, experience, like Youssef Msekini, who's been at seven African Cup of Nations. Um, but they don't have the kind of quality on paper that other African nations have, and then they don't have that kind of coaching that other African nations have. We spoke about Ali Yusisi and Vaid Heludzic, who have experience coaching at World Cups. Tunisia went with an interim manager following the AFCON. They brought in a guy named Jalal Qadri, who has never played real top-flight football. He's just played in second league in Tunisia. He's bounced around coaching the Tunisian league for 20 years. I just wonder if he has you know, the, the medal to really go on and take on teams like France or Denmark with the impressive displays yeah. uh, they had at the recent uh, European championships. I don't believe so right now. They're still experimenting with playing systems. They played a 4-2-4 against Botswana recently. That didn't work out at all. Um, they ended up tying Botswana 0-0, um, but they beat Equatorial Guinea 4-0. So it's, it's, they're still experimenting with a lot of different systems. They're a team that can be difficult to beat, but they're not a team that's going to score two or three goals. So I think eventually the quality of Denmark and France is, is just going to be too much for them. I think it's it's down to really they're an attack up top. Jaziri, when he gets chances, the half chances he gets, he's inconsistent in front of goal. And when you're at the FIFA World Cup, you need a reliable goal scorer. But make no mistake, in 2018, it was Kajri's team, two goals in the World Cup. And he's a guy who's fading out towards the end of his career, not included in the first couple games in the AFCON qualifiers, a guy who was kind of a role player in this past AFCON. This is Yusuf Masakni's team. And go back to some of their big games, the Mali qualifier. It was luck of the draw with getting the own goal. And it was defense that saw them through. And Mali, in that matchup, they scored an early goal. And had it not been for VAR... We could be seeing a Malayan, a Malayan team in this World Cup. This Tunisia side, they don't have a good record when they go down to an early goal in FIFA mm. World Cup. In 2018, they went down to early goals. I think England scored one, Belgium scored one, and the game got away from them. So in this group, if you're playing against Tunisia, if you get an early goal, they'll yeah. kind of wilt. They'll still give you a bit of a fight at halftime, but the second half, they lose a bit of belief and confidence. Yeah, you set the scene when you face Tunisia. A, a very good point there. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on here, and let's talk about Cameroon, by the way. Cameroon, uh, who, well, you know, producer Desnora said low-key group of death, but I don't know. I, I think every group is, is really difficult. Every group is uh, the group of involuntary manslaughter. They can kill you without even knowing it. I feel like this group is the same, but it's a tough group. They have Brazil, Serbia, and Switzerland teams that know the World Cup. They know international competition. Brazil, my personal favorite uh, pick to win the whole thing anyway. So you would think that I think we're all in agreement that Brazil should win this group. So it should be about Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon, who I feel, Michael, are actually 
you know, we're going to get into Ghana in a second, but Cameroon could could get out of this if they play the right way. What do you think? Yeah, it, it, this is the group of death for who's going to finish second. Because mm. Brazil, with the way they're playing, they are in fuego. They can go anywhere and win any game on any given day with their stars at the level they're playing at. But when I look at some of these matchups, the Serbias of the world, yes, they shocked Portugal getting a massive result on that final day to get to this World Cup. I, I just think Cameroon, they match up very well. I think the, the team that I could see possibly beating them to get second plate, Switzerland. You never know which Swiss team is going to show up on the biggest of occasions, especially on the international stage. Yeah. They show up, and Granite Jaka, he's a different Granite Jaka, but this Cameroonian team, I like what I see. During the AFCON coverage, Carl Toko Akembi, I love this guy. This guy had a great season for Lyon, even better season for the Cameroonian national team, played lights out in the playoff match to get them here. I believe he scored a massive goal yeah. to get them to – sorry, man, but scored a massive yeah. goal to get them to this place. And now I think it's going to go down to the health of a one Angisa who plays for Napoli. He's another star in the making. And up top, gosh, who do you go with? Abubakar or Chopamoting? That, for me, in attack is going to be the biggest question for this team. Yeah, I mean, they're playing against Burundi right now. They're winning 1-0. And they've actually played a 4-2-3-1 with Chupamoting behind Abubakar, which could mm -hmm. be an option. Mm -hmm. But just to give you a little bit of a lay of the land for Cameroon, in the last six months, first of all, Samuel Eto was voted federation president and that was a very popular move i've never seen anybody as popular as samuel eto in cameroon even the the president when his face was on the big screen wasn't getting the pop that samuel yeah. eto was inside on of level with didier drogba and ivory coast crazy like yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah crazy so he's at the federation level they had a good afcon they finished third of course expectations were to win it but they finished third beating burkina faso they get rid of their coach ahead of a crucial playoff against algeria they bring in the old uncle, Rigobert Song, we're thinking, uh, is this going to work? We're not so sure. He, ha he had coached the Olympic team before, and they didn't really get great results. So there was a lot of uncertainty within Cameroon about the move. They lose the first match in Cameroon. They lose in Douala, where they hadn't lost since the 80s. And then they go and beat Algeria in Algeria, where Algeria hadn't lost within in the last 45 years. That's a yo-yo thing right now. Crazy. Yeah. And, and, and they're a very balanced squad. They have a good goalkeeper. They have a solid defense. Uh... They have a midfielder that's like very physical, not very imaginative, but very industrious. And as as Michael talked about, the, their attack, you know, um, Abubakar and Karl Toko Ikambe, they're the magic duo, really. Chupo Moting can also come in. Mumin Gamalo is a little bit underrated. He plays in Switzerland. He, he'll be on the other end of the flank. But they're a very balanced squad. And I think... Uh, similar to Senegal, if they can come in with that morale, if they can come in with, you know, the the motivation for playing for Samuel Eto, playing for Rigo Bersong, those legends, I think they could probably do something and maybe finish second in their group. What do you think, Michael, to wrap it up? Can they get out of the group? I think they can. I think I think it's going to go down to that matchup, and it could be head-to-head -head against Switzerland, what they do out of the gate. But I think it's really going to go down between them and the Swiss. Yeah, I think so, too. It's going to be a tough one. I think you made a very good point. How it's a group of death for second place. It should be a key uh, situation in that specific group. All right, let's wrap up with uh, Ghana, baby, who are so exciting, not just because of the players they already have, right, but really about that the players that could also maybe recruit in the process to November as well. And as we speak, they're actually getting ready to face Japan as well in the Keating Cup, which is, uh, as we speak, it's on 
Friday really early in the morning Eastern time here in New York. But so that should give us a little bit of an indication as well of how well they will do. But Ghana is exciting. Uh, Myron, I'm, I'm excited about Ghana. I, 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 it's just because I guess on paper, you know, they should be able to do the business. But again, we, we said the same thing towards the African Cup of Nations. So what, what do you make of Ghana here specifically at the World Cup? And in the AFCON, they were eliminated by debutant Comoros. Exactly. So that was, and their was, opponents, uh, the first opponents at the World Cup is Portugal. So <laughs> not the easiest task. And after the, the AFCON, that was, uh, you know, a, a national humiliation for them. You could see their FIFA mm-hmm. ranking up on the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the lowest it's been in a very, very long time. They brought in like a coaching consortium, they called it. So they got a local coach, Otto Addo. They brought in Chris Hutton, former Newcastle coach mm-hmm. uh, who has Ghanaian heritage. Uh, he's more of like a technical advisor, uh, very involved in recruiting players. My thing with Ghana, I think they're very interesting, but I just think that this World Cup has come one or two years too early for them. Because when I look at their squad, they have a lot of great young talent. So Mohamed Kourouz at Ajax, um, uh, Kamal Din Suleymana at Rennes as well. They have an 18-year-old who's currently at Sporting Lisbon. His name is uh, Abdul Fatahou Isahaku. Another one of the probably the best under 18 talent in Africa. Great like basketball. That. He plays on the yeah. wing. Felix Afena Gian at, uh, at Roma as well. All of these players are like 20, 21, 22. They haven't really played a real major competition. And I just fear that this World Cup's just one or two years too early. The, the, the real assuring thing is that they do have the more experienced players like a Thomas Partey or like the, the IU brothers who could sort of, you know, put their arm around the shoulder of the younger yeah. players and, and perhaps give them a little bit of advice. But when I look at that group and then I look at the, the players that I expect to be the most impactful, I just think this World Cup's just been one or two years too early for them. I think experience is what's going to cost them at this World Cup looking at this group. A very experienced Portugal side who has stars playing at the highest levels and are key players for their team. I think of a Uruguay side who are very experienced as well. Luis Suarez, just this sometimes looks like Benjamin Button rolling back the clock when he steps <laughs> on the field for Uruguay. Him and Edison Cavani, those two can't stop scoring goals. And, and Darwin Nunez, if he and, makes his um, move to Liverpool, Liverpool, the Premier League, that's another... Uh, yeah, no, this is yeah, a very good Uruguayan side. And under Diego Alonso, they have gotten better and better. And, and South Korea, yeah. Kika and Michael. But yes, yeah. absolutely. This and, actually would be, to me, the closest to a group of death. Because South Korea yeah. could, could do something. Obviously, they got destroyed by Brazil. But, you know, between now and, and November, they could also develop but this could be tough for Ghana when I look at this Ghanaian team I think their World Cup prowess is going to come down to the recruitment and recruiting of Chris Hooten who can he get from Europe to come in I think of Callum Hudson-Odoi look at the teams that he's playing for Chelsea recent European champion and also in Yaki Williams what he's doing in Spain highly touted talent if you get players like that in your camp that just doesn't help you for FIFA World Cup prowess now you can think about the future. Eddie this is and Kataya, Michael LaHood as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. There's also, sorry, sorry, the Southampton defender, Mohamed Salisu, who had a, a pretty good Premier League season as well. He mm-hmm. wasn't at the AFCON as well. So all of these players, as you mentioned, could make for another dynamic, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think AFCON is where they're going to see the biggest transition jump for this group, the qualifiers. Can they qualify and get to AFCON? But I think, as you said, this tournament's coming too early based on this current group. Well, so more so than any other nation, perhaps Morocco as well, between now and November, it's going to be very important for Ghana as they face South Korea, Uruguay, and they begin the World Cup against Cristiano Ronaldo and Portugal. All right, let's uh, 
finish up with predictions here. Uh, overall, you know, we've talked about all the nations here. Well, first of all, I mean, can can Ghana do this? Can they get out of the group, Mark? I think it's a little too early. My, my most confident are Cameroon and Senegal. Okay, so to you, Senegal and Cameroon are the ones that are favors to get out and get into the knockout stages. Michael, what do you think? Uh, gosh, how do you say hell no for Ghana? <laughs> out of the group? Not a chance for this current group. I mean, Ronaldo and Messi are already tied to their national teams. It would take them to get them out of this group. I, I agree with you. It's going to come down to Cameroon and Senegal. And and really, I think ultimately it's going to come down to Senegal. Uh, that's the only team that I, I have full belief in to get out of this uh, their group. Yeah, I think uh, you may be onto something there. I still have hopes for Ghana. It just depends on what can happen between now and November, of course. Uh, all right, well, how far, if we're talking just about those two, right, Senegal and Cameroon, Michael, how far can they go? How far can they, you know, going back to the Pele comment from the 90s, can they really do this? Can, okay, let's let's go here first. Can they go beyond the semifinals? I think this could be where we see an African team make the semifinals. Why? Look at the environment that they're playing in. They're playing in heat, baby. African they, teams. And they're ready. They love heat. They know heat. Some of their home stadiums, just about every home stadium in Africa, it is hot. It is hotter than Hades. And I think that could be a determining factor. And the fact that they're not moving around too much, they're staying specifically in one area also helps them as well. They can acclimate themselves. Obviously, that's uh, for every team. But to your point about the conditions favor them, what do you think? Can they go further than the semis, uh, any any African team? I think the semis is a step too far. I think, unfortunately, we're looking at another quarterfinal berth for these African teams. The, the, the nations that I thought could have a chance to go to the semis uh, before this final round of qualifying were the North African nations because there are such big North African diasporas in Qatar. So they would have not only the, the, the heat advantage, but also the, the home field advantage as well. There would have been 20, 30, 40,000 supporters. And that'll still be the case for Morocco and Tunisia. But I think they're a little bit troubled, as we spoke about. So I think Senegal and Cameroon probably, obviously, it depends how the bracket shakes out and the teams they're playing against. But I think quarterfinal is a reasonable bet for me. Yeah, I think uh, the larger objective, the more realistic objective will be 2026 when a few more yeah. nations go in. And to your point, uh, Meyer, from earlier on, uh, you know, some of these young players will have a little bit yeah. more experience from an international perspective. All right. Well, that's it. That was our show regarding the African nations at the World Cup. Fantastic stuff. From Amr Zahi and Michael LaHood. Final thoughts, everybody, before we say goodbye. And Michael, I know where you are going, my friend. You're beautifully oh. <laughs> wearing that shirt. Talk to me. Oh, man. Can someone say a prayer, grab your rosary beads, go to the Imam, whatever you believe in, <laughs> rub the crystal for my Sierra Leone national team. AFCON qualifiers cannot wait in this matchup against Nigeria and also, I'm thinking of your Peru-Australia matchup. There's Thank some big you. game implications coming up over the next week. I cannot wait. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, we're going to have a preview of that game, by the way, on Friday as well and some other content on Monday. But it's also my birthday, so I'm not a, nowhere near no. here <laughs> regarding the recap. So I'm going to be drunk either way on that day, mm. so don't worry about that. Mar Mazahi, give me your final thoughts, buddy. Yeah, just I think uh, overall a, a mitigated group of, of five teams. I think the the lineup in 2018 and 2014 were a bit stronger. Uh, I don't think it was always the best teams that qualified out of the last group. Teams like Nigeria, even Algeria, 
even though that was split 50-50 with Cameroon, I think maybe could have had uh, better results at this World Cup. Nonetheless, I'm excited for it. Um, it's always a great opportunity to sort of support any African nation. And there's that pan-African spirit that I enjoy so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just hope that somebody could shock the world and make it to, to a semifinal. We were close in 2010. It was that danced Luis Suarez, but uh, (laughs) no cussing at the TV. I remember. Hey, but you never know, right? You never know. You know, especially in this World Cup. High spirits from Algeria all the way to South Africa, from uh, Sierra Leone all the way to Kenya. So that's that's what's gonna. I'm gonna be looking forward to. I love it. I love it, my friend. Well, make sure to follow uh, Mar Mesahi at Mesahi Mar on Twitter. Of course, he's currently in Marseille, so make sure you bother him when he's at the beach because uh, I'm going to be jealous. But Michael Hood at Mike LaHood as well, part of our Lasso family. Mar, thank you so much, buddy. Thanks for having me on, guys. Michael, always a pleasure, my man. Thank you, LME. I'm about to actually warm up my first, or actually warm up, chill off my first beer because I could use it watching this game. Oh my! It's never too early. It's It's never too early. early. Hey, it's uh, 12 p.m., 5 p.m. somewhere, right? Absolutely right. All right, Michael LaHood, Marmazani, thank you so much, everybody. Don't forget that the entire summer of Kigo Lasso will have World Cup episodes, including this great one. We have uh, part two of the greatest World Cup teams that have never won the World Cup coming up as well. We'll do some previews, some recaps, and so much more from Kego Lasso, including, by the way, transfer stories with Fabrizio Romano. Follow us on youtube.com forward slash Kego Lasso. Kego Lasso pod on Twitter. We've already reached 12,000 subscribers. Thank you so much. Keep on going, baby. Marmizaki, Michael LaHood, LME. See you next time. Have a great, great rest of your week. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.